Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're finally going to finish up this text. I think I have the verses wrong, actually, in your notes there. We are going to begin in verse 17, but we're going to focus in on verses 21 through 24. So let's just read this section. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and then given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. As we look at this text, one of the things that clearly stands out is the whole text involves the mind and what we learn. Or considering who we were, how we were darkened in our thinking. Everyone knows that education is important, that education determines so much about a person's actions. In fact, the scripture clearly teaches that our whole life flows out of our hearts. So that in Proverbs 4.23, Solomon tells his sons, above all else, guard your heart. For out of it flows the springs of life. Your whole life flows out of your heart. What does the Bible mean when it speaks of the heart? It speaks of the inner man. In the inner man is where we think. In the inner man is where our desires lie. And where our desires and will lies determines our actions. So that our whole life is determined about what we think. That'll de determine what we love and what we hate. And that'll determine what we do. And Solomon says, above all else, guard your hearts. Which means guard your minds. You read Proverbs 4 in the context and say, what does it mean to guard your heart? what he clearly means. I think there's 27 imperatives, charges from a father to the son in Proverbs 4. And they all basically say the same thing. You guard your heart with the father's instruction, with the laws from God, with God's word is what protects our minds. 
And so as Paul describes the old life and the new life, he describes how our minds used to think, how our education was tainted and darkened because of our hardness of heart. That's what we've been looking at. But now, after the new birth for the Christian, there's a new education. So that when we look at our verses, what we'll see is in our new education, Christ is the subject matter. He's the subject we now study. He's the teacher. And that the context in which we do all that learning is in this new life that has come from Christ. John Stott laid it out in, in somewhat in those terms. It is. It's an education of the mind that needs to be remembered in order to go on and do what we do. And then the rest of our time in Ephesians is the practical, nitty-gritty, how do we live out of this new life? All right, so let's pick up in verse 20. We've already worked through what our life used to look like and what our thinking used to look like. Our thinking was in futility. It was leading nowhere. And our minds were darkened in their understanding. But here's what he says in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. He's speaking to believers, to those that have already experienced the new birth. He's speaking to Christians. That is not the way you learned. He doesn't say Christianity. He doesn't say the teachings of Christ. He says, that is not the way you learned Christ. In that what we learned was a person, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God is what we have learned. God incarnate, God in the flesh. So for the Christian, we need to remember the subject matter. Christ is. What's the focus of your mind? What's the focus of your thinking? What ought it be? We continue to go to Colossians and Romans because Paul really, it's, it's the parallel passages that helps us fill out statements like he makes here. That is not the way you learned Christ. Look at Colossians 2 with me. I just want to read the first five verses. Listen to what Paul wants for his people. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. So this isn't Paul saying, here's something you might want to think about. He says, I want you to know something about how I'm struggling over here in 
on your behalf. This is earnest desire. How great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, this is what his struggle is for. That their hearts may be encouraged. He wants encouraged hearts. Being knit together in love. So he wants them to, their hearts are where they think and where their desires are, where their actions come from. So he wants their mind encouraged. He wants their desires, their hopes to be anchored. He wants them to be knit together in love to reach all the riches of assurance. All the riches of assurance. He wants them encouraged. He wants them assured. In what? All the riches of assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That's what he wants them to understand. That's what he wants them to know. And then in verse 3, it's incredible. He says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And everyone in this room has to ask themselves, do I believe it? Do I believe my relationship in, with Christ is like the cherry that's on top of the ice cream? Like my life's pretty good. I like my family. I like my job. But what really could make my life better is put Christ on here. That's not Christianity. That's not what the scriptures teach. Paul says all the treasures of wisdom are treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. They're all in him. So for the Christian, it's not my, the focus of my life is Christ and something else. Because all other wisdom you need is bound up in him, which makes sense because he created all things. He is the light uh, that is in every man. Life is in Christ. Of course, he's the subject matter. Here's how Jesus said it in John 5, 39. He says, you search the scriptures, speaking to the Jews, because you think that in them you have eternal life. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? How could, how could this end up in a rebuke? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life, but it is they that speak of me. Jesus is saying, Jews, your whole Old Testament is all about me. So you think 
you have eternal life with the scriptures over there, but you haven't understood your scriptures. They speak of me. In our new church building, we have this decorative glass wall that was left over from the news building. And we debated, what do, what do we put on that? We decided what's going to be on that. It's going to be the, one of the first things you see when you walk in. It's, be thou my vision. When you walk into church, when you wake up in the morning, what's your subject matter? Is God your vision? Is Christ your study? Is Christ your focus? Or is, is he just the one who did something so that when it comes to dying, you'll have a little more assurance In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's all anyone is going after. They want to know the way to somewhere good. They want to know the truth. They want life. And it's all bound up in Jesus, in Christ himself in John 17 3 he says this is eternal life now remember whenever the scripture speaks of eternal life we just think of like life that goes on forever and that's part of what eternal life means but it's so much more than that eternal life means the fullness of real life it's the best life. It's the only thing that is life. And so Jesus says here, and this is eternal life. What is he going to say? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He speaks of himself in the third person there. That is life. You wake up in the morning, what do you want to do? You're, you're going to live. So where are you going to look? What's the subject matter? And what Paul reminds them in verse 20 is that they've already learned Christ. Not that, not that they can't know more about him, but they've already learned him. Every believer knows Christ. And this is in contrast to how you used to live when you didn't know Christ, when you were alienated from the life of God, alienated from eternal life, darkened in your understanding because of your hardness of heart. Your heart was callous and hard. But what he's saying is, it's not anymore. For you've learned Christ. And then in verse 21, we see that 
he isn't just the subject matter, but he's the teacher. Assuming that you heard about him. Very unfortunate translation here. Here's what F.F. Bruce says about this. It is a pity that the RSV and also the ESV uh, that we normally uh, read translates the phrase, you heard about him. For there is no preposition. Paul assumes that through the voice of their Christian teachers, they had actually heard Christ's voice. Thus, when sound biblical moral instruction is given, it may be said that Christ is teaching about Christ. So if anyone has a KJV or, or maybe another translation, literally, assuming you heard him, you heard Christ speaking. This isn't audibly, this is your heart. So you didn't just learn about Christ, but he was the one who taught you. Which makes sense of what Jesus says in John 10, verse 27, when he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep Hear my voice, yeah, but you ascended to heaven, still true. My sheep hear my voice through gospel preaching or teaching or reading, and they follow me. You know, Mark Phillips, who we pray for so often and support, uh, it's the missionaries that we support the most in Africa. They were taught all these strategies how to uh, reach Muslims in, in Africa and how to destroy their arguments. And, and basically, he said, for the first three years, we never lost an argument. We could even use their Quran and show them how they're inconsistent. But we saw very little fruit. They tried to build bridges of, of and, and they were reading John 10 and him and several other missionaries in their team there. And they thought, what if we just boldly go into these villages, go straight to the imams, go straight to the village leaders and we tell them, that we want to speak the good news of life. And how about we just boldly speak it and then walk back to our van and see if any sheep are there that follow us. And inevitably, what began happening in conjunction with that in starting these prayer teams back in the U.S. to pray for these specific roads, they would speak to 30 people, walk back to their van, get ready to go. There's a couple hanging around. They got questions. They want to talk more. And they have seen 
many converted by the clear teaching of the gospel and Christ's sheep hearing his voice, he says, they will follow me. They hear his voice through the preaching. In Luke 10, 22, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. It's a big statement. And no one knows the son, who the son is except the father. Nobody knows who the son is except the father. Or who the father is except the son and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. See, that's who knows. Christ is the teacher. Christ is the revealer of truth and knowledge. In John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they'll be taught by God. The believers are not mainly taught by human teachers, but ultimately, if anyone is a follower of Christ, they are taught by God. The Holy Spirit has brought new life, brought understanding and light to the mind. So that Christ is the subject matter, Christ is the teacher, so much better than the old life with dark, darkness that leads to immoral practice. But he's saying, you know Christ. He was your teacher. And then he says, this one's maybe a little less clear at first glance, and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. It makes sense that we learned Christ and that he taught us. What does it mean that we were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus? A couple of things to say here. Whenever Paul uses Jesus, calls Jesus Jesus and not Christ, it is a very rare occurrence. You might have looked at the notes and said, why did he say Christ is the subject matter? Christ is your teacher. Jesus' life is in you. Because that's what Paul does here. Paul uses, his, uses Jesus' name, not Christ. So as the interpreter, it makes you say, why did he do that? What is he doing here? What does it mean that we were taught in him? And I think what he means is that the context of your education is in the new spiritual life that has been given to you in Christ. So I kind of think of it as, okay, what subject am I studying Christ. Who's the teacher? Christ. What's the context in which I'm taking this class? 
I think the answer is the context of the new birth, new life in Christ, to be taught in him, mainly because of the verses that follow. But here's how John Stott says it. That is to say, Jesus Christ, in addition to being the teacher and the teaching, was also the context, even the atmosphere within which the teaching was given. When Jesus Christ is at once the subject, the object, and the environment of moral instruction being given, we may have confidence that it is truly Christian, for truth is in Jesus. There's all sorts of people that talk about Jesus. Turn on the History Channel, turn on TV. Everybody's talking about Jesus, has something to say, even great scholars. But when is something truly Christian? When the Christ of the Scriptures is talked about. When the Christ of the Scriptures was the teacher of the one talking about it. And when the Christ of the Scriptures has given his own life to the person talking about it, which eliminates most of the Christ taught, which we see in our day and age. Remember Nicodemus? For him to really understand the teaching of Christ. Oh, you're a great teacher. I know you're from God. For him to really understand the teaching of Christ, what did he need to know? He needed to know about the new birth. He needed to know the context in which he needed to learn Christ. It bothered Nicodemus. Nicodemus could do everything well from a human perspective, so it seemed. But Jesus said, what you need is something you can't do. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. He needed the new birth. He needed new life because Nicodemus, like the rest of us, were born in Adam, spiritually dead, in need of God's eternal life awakening us from the dead, resurrecting our spiritual nature from the dead. So to learn Christ then is to learn to put off the old self like you would an old filthy garment. It doesn't make any sense for those who have light to go grab this garment. Those, those who are given this clean, righteous, holy teaching. Christ himself fulfills the law perfectly in his own body. He's who you learned. He's who you learned from. So now with your actions, you think you ought to go live like you used to live? Why would you do that? You're not darkened anymore. That's what he's saying. That's what he's pointing to. Romans 6, 6, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, when 
you're given the new birth, sins, you, sin was your master. You had to give in to your fleshly desires. You were enslaved to them, but not anymore. You don't have to give this flesh what this flesh asks for. That's what he teaches in Romans. We spent a lot of times in, in Romans 6. And so here's what he says in verse 22. To put off your old self. We were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So let's just ask the question, what truth is he talking about? You were taught in him. I'm arguing that in him is in your new spiritual life. As the truth is in Jesus. Why doesn't he say Christ there? Here's the surprising thing. The eternal God who created the universe came in human flesh. Your mind can't comprehend it. The one who spoke the stars into existence, all the energy that is in the sun, which you can look at through telescope, that's from Christ, was in a frail human body. That's why he says Jesus there and not Christ. The truth is in Jesus. What's he about to say? He's, he, he's going to say, live out of your new life in your body. Jesus did it. The truth was in embodied form in the person of Jesus Christ. When he says, I am the truth, he was in his incarnate self. And so he's going to say to his brothers and his sisters in Christ that he brought new life to. Now, through my spirit, which lives within you, the Holy Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. He's going to give life to your mortal body so that you can now offer your members, this body, up to worship to God rather than slavery to your selfishness and your sin. And then he says, to put off your old self. You were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. What is this truth? Here's what he says, to put off your old self. It's, a, it's an infinitive. It's not an imperative. I think what he's saying here is you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Yes, it was corrupt through deceitful desires because what are our desires attached to the mind. What was the mind like? The mind was corrupt and darkened. So we're to live in this body in light 
of not who we used to be, but who we are. And then he says, and to be renewed in the spirits, spirit of your minds. Every day, you get to wake up and you actually choose what you put in your mind, what you look at, what you think about. You choose and I choose. And often, we choose to forget who we are when we wake up in the morning. That's why Paul says, I have to die daily. Why does he say that? Because his flesh cries to live every morning. But he needs to remember who he is in Christ. And when he looks at who he is and he remembers who he is in Christ, then his life and his actions can follow that which he believes about himself in Christ. To be renewed in the spirits, spirit of your minds. Here's how he says it in Colossians 3. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Put that away. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have already. This is in the aorist tense. You have Okay, I lost my spot. That you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge. So this is speaking of renewed mind here, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The new man is being renewed in his mind as he's being conformed into the image of Christ. Put off these things because that's not who you are, is the argument. Isn't that so much better than put off these things so you can become better and, and maybe someday get to the point where you're a new creation? But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you are a new creation the old is gone and the new has come. And so the moral instruction is now based in who you really are. Here's what Christ has done. Here's how Paul's letters go. Here's what Christ has done. Here's grace. Now live like who you are. And that's what we're going to get into. He's going to get really specific. You might be saying, give us practical ways to live. We're always in theory. Well, this is how Paul teaches he lets us know who we are, and then we're going to see in a moment how practical this gets. This is not a new thing. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
1 Peter 1.13, Peter's talking to Christians that are about to suffer terribly at the hand of Nero. And here's what he tells them. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. In the original, it's gird up the loins of your mind. When you would gird up your robe, it was time for battle. And what he's saying is, you need to become strong in your mind. And what he tells them to do is set their hope fully on the grace that will be brought to them at the day of Christ Jesus. Because if those Christians put one ounce of hope in this world, if that's where their foundation is, they'll, they'll struggle with anxiety. They'll struggle with worry because there is no promises that this is going to go easy. In fact, Jesus said, if you follow me, this is going to go harder. But set your minds fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the day of Christ Jesus. That's where we're to set our minds. You know how hard it is to set your mind somewhere? You know, don't you? The biggest thing you'll battle against is your mind. Most people think they're enslaved to it. Well, this is the mind I got. My grandma was a worrier. I'm a worrier. I'm a victim. Well, the Bible tells you what to do with your mind, where to set your mind. So he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Put on the new self. The clothes you put on are these new ways of living that are now enlightened by the knowledge you now have since you know Christ. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what the new man is created to be. After the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, as a kid, we hear about commandments and rules. We think, oh, these are so oppressive. This is, the way you get to heaven is God says, don't do the fun stuff. And if you don't do the fun stuff long enough, I'll give you a reward and, and let you into heaven. That's how a lot of people think of Christianity. But God's way is the way of life. It is the way of joy. At his, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are treasures forevermore. Do you want fullness of joy? Do you want treasures forevermore? Well, God brought spiritual life to you so that you can now walk in the light and in the truth. Romans 13 speaks of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ as an imperative, as a command. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let me read that again. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're born in Adam. With Adam, you got a spiritually darkened mind spiritually dead. 
selfish in rebellion to God, in rebellion to your neighbor. That's who you were in Adam. But Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the one who did not fail, the one who lived in relation with this father perfectly. Put on Jesus Christ. That's the positive. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's what you need to pray about and decide what that is in your life. What does it look like for you to make provision for your flesh? To look at your flesh, make yourself a victim, and then say, you know what? You really deserve this. You're, you know, you're... Flesh really deserves us. Don't make any provision for the flesh. Don't tempt your flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as you make yourself a victim of your flesh, how are you going to love anyone? When love is defined by agape love in self-sacrificial love for the good of another, if you love yourself... And just consider yourself, you won't even be able to fulfill the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor. What did Jesus say in Luke 9.23? He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself. Well, let's put a little practicality to it. I like doing this in James 4. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? All right, when you're fighting, Christian, what's happening? Your passions, your desires are at war within you. And you fight and you quarrel and you war with one another. This is where murder comes from. Imagine a husband and a wife. You've maybe heard me say this before. You wake up in the morning. Let's say they both forget they're Christians in the morning. And they just make their plans for their day. And they both grab onto their plans like this. There's nothing wrong with making plans for your day. Uh, this is the sinful part. When you grab onto it like this, Jesus said, take this cup from me, not my will, your will be done, right? But when we wake up in the morning and the husband says, I'm gonna go, I'll just put myself in here, I'm gonna go kill a deer. There's a deer on my trail camera. The wind is perfect. The rut's only, you know, about 21 days out of the year. This is, I, I'm justified in grabbing onto it like this. I'm not saying Laura thinks this way. Let's just imagine Laura said, the kids are wearing me out and I need a break. Let's say she was grabbing onto it like this. And so she's got plans for coffee or something. Go throughout the day. There's one thing that's going to happen. A war is going to happen. A quarrel is going to happen. 
our passions are grabbed onto like this. Every argument, every fight is because passions are a war. But what if we wake up and we remember we're Christians? What if we remember texts that... Um, Let's see if I got it here. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Let's say we wake up in the morning and we remember, I'm not my own. I'm not my own. I'm Christ. I'm to love him and love others. And yes, I have a plan for my day, but because I'm not my own, I open my hands up. And when I find a conflict, if a husband and wife both are doing this, when the conflict comes, there may be an argument, but it's going to be, no, you, honey, you go do this. You've been with the kids a lot. Or, no, honey, you, you go. I know you want to go hunting. What's the difference? Remembering who you are. Are you your own or are you Christ determines the way we live. That's why the rest of Ephesians, listen how practical this gets. Right away in the rest of chapter four, he's going to say, do not lie, but speak the truth. Don't let sin go, don't, or don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't sin in your anger, and then don't go to bed angry. This gets really practical, really fast. What does it look like to live in our new flesh? Don't steal, but work hard so you can give. Very practical. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds up others. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. It's the guarantee. The Spirit's the guarantee of the new inheritance, and so don't stiff arm the Spirit in your life. Walk with the Spirit. Very practical. In verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is how we're supposed to walk. Walk in selfless love. Ephesians 5 says, but sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness must, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthy, filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. Be careful how you use your mouth when you're, when you're with your buddies, guys. Do you forget who you are? We have to remember it gets so practical. And then he talks about the relationship between husbands and wives, children and their parents, masters and their servants, and then he gets to spiritual warfare. But all that will be wasted if you forget this teaching right here. We live, we ought to live like Paul's calling us to live because that's who we are, all right? So Paul says, for me to live is what? Christ. He says, if I die, it's gain. 
But if I live, that's fine. Christ, he's the subject, he's the teacher, he's the atmosphere. 